0: Hey, my name is Sheldon March. Welcome to Wild. Hey guys, welcome back. It is the second episode of the niche. I am joined by my frontman Liam.
1: Hey guys, welcome to episode two with the gang. It's yeah, good to man, be back.
0: it's happening! It's happening! We did a we we did an episode a couple of days ago. Uh I wanna hear what you think
1: about that, man. I think it came out pretty good. Oh, it's so good. Um I I've been listening to podcasts more in the car to work than music these days. And some sometimes it's you're spoiled for choice. There's so many podcasts you wanna to listen to you end up listening to none of them. But with that one, I mean, you mentioned towards the end that we'd been talking for an hour and even at the time I thought that time had flown by but listening to it man I was lost in our conversation yet again <laughs> I thought it was awesome nice man do you know um, one
0: of the biggest problems I've noticed when it comes to somebody trying to make it in the podcast world is that they will stop after a couple of episodes that's what I did mm. when I had my first one and if you go on to 90% of the podcasts currently listed on Spotify and Apple after about 10 to 20 episodes, people just cut them loose. Yeah. Because it takes a really long time to get any sort of return on your efforts for this sort mm. of thing. So I personally think, you know what? Do it. Have fun with it. That's the only, that's the best way you can probably do anything like this. And mm. then after, you know, one, if, if you do that, it'll translate really, really positively. And these are cool, man. These are cool. I'm busy talking. You know, we're having fun. We're discussing music and things like that. And you know, you're my front man. Yeah. Doing it with your mates. I think it's going to be so much more fun yeah and And the plan is like the plan is to kind of get the other guys in as much as we possibly can but i think for now it's going to kind of focus on you and me just a little bit is it is it fair is it fair for me to say that
1: yeah i think so i think we both come from a similar background and we live close by to each other and the other guys are specialists in their own departments with the with the band i think we're very good at that in terms of giving each person a little job to do in terms of rather than just playing, we look after the band together. I think that's what makes this lineup so strong. So, yeah, I think that's fair. Cool. So, the last time we spoke, we kind of gave you a little bit
0: of an an introduction in terms of your musical history and where you came from. I thought it might be a good idea for me to do the same. Just to kind of tell you where I... Because I don't think I've ever told you when I started playing drums.
1: Yeah, why... Was it kitchen pots and pans? Yeah, (laughs) pretty much. So, I...
0: I don't even know how I got into it. I had a cousin who used to play drums, and he was very good. And he just, I think I just sat in front of his kit once, and I just played a little bit, and it was really nice. And I really wanted a set of drums, but my family was really poor growing up, Mm. so we couldn't afford anything like that. So I just did the best thing that I possibly could. I had these shoeboxes, just empty shoeboxes, and a big empty cake tin that was... (laughs) rectangle. It was like a ding. And that was my ride or whatever. And I just used to stack them up. And then I just used to bash. And I, I had one drumstick that I found in, in, in a garden outside of a restaurant. Just Somebody just threw away a drumstick. And one of those big novelty pencils. My mom went to the UK and she came back. And I was using these two things to play drums for years. And I just used to play along beats and um, <laughs> The Simpsons and stupid shit like that. And it was really fun. And then eventually my granddad got me a drum set. But the thing is, we were living in a really tiny place, so we were driving our neighbors mm-hmm. mad. So I, we, we had to get rid of it. We had to get rid of it, and my dad got me an electric kit, which was really fun in the beginning. Except it was the cheapest, worst kit you could get at that time. It's when electric kits just came out so they weren't that good to start off with and, and we got the most affordable one that we could get and it just fell to pieces within about eight months Man. just the the more you played it the little nuts and bolts just came out and it just started going and it was just totally busted and then i just totally stopped i had no drum set to play and i'd been playing up until that point for about 10 years uh maybe more than that and then i just had to give it up I didn't have any money, I couldn't buy myself a new kit, and I just had to get rid of it. And we, I sold it to a blind girl. What, I, was blind. she blind or was she deaf? Well, She obviously wasn't deaf, was she? She was blind. And they live on a farm back in South Africa. Right. And she's got a kit, but the only thing that she can do that's therapeutic to her is yeah. to play drums. Yeah. So she wanted an electric kit that she could play at night. Ah. And these people bought this kit off of me for about seventy bucks. Mm. I felt bad even charging them, you know, but I needed the cash. <laughs> and uh, yeah, she uh, now now my drum set today. Then I came back, and I just I just decided that's it, man. I can't do this anymore. I miss playing drums so bad. And I got this kit, and I I remember the first day I sat in front of it. I had no idea what I was doing. Mm. I just felt so useless because I hadn't played in about ten years. But then after about. 3 months of practice, I had it all back. And I feel really good. And that's it man, that's that, that that's why I am in this now.
1: I think the the gap between bad drummers and good drummers is that musicality where you can h- almost hear the song through just the drums. And I think you have that that it's not just a beat. There's the feeling and the vibe And maybe that's from this kind of upbringing that you had, where you're having like this hap dash kind of impromptu, just trying to get your hands on a kit that, you know, a lot of times you're probably, you know, trying to just get something sorted yourself. And I'm sort of similar with the guitar that, you know, you didn't learn drums. Like when I, I was initially interested in learning drums as well but it was through percussion through the school band and it was like, hit this massive, like you know, like a Chinese gong. It's <laughs> like, so hit it on every fourth bar. So it's just like, <laughs> boing, boing. And I'm like, this isn't drums, this isn't percussion. So I think probably this way that you've learned probably helped you, I think, rather than learning percussion or drums theoretically. I'm oh, it actually.
0: could be, it could be. I mean, th- if, I think, if I think about it, when we were practicing last week, Elliot came up with this riff. That's going well. That's pretty much added to our upcoming lead single. It's a song called "Fake Friends," and Elliot just started playing this brand new, different riff. And within seconds, I knew exactly what drums needed to go yeah. behind that. And I played it first time round, and it sounded freaking sweet. So I think I sometimes can. I think I, I, I think mm. I do understand the dimensions and the intertwining. It sounds so lame when I say it. But I think I do have a bit of a... It's
1: it's not. It's this natural feeling where you go with the song. You don't necessarily have to... Like with guitar, some of my favourite guitarists aren't these guys that can do a massive solo for 20 minutes. But their solos are short, sharp, sweet, and they serve the song, and they've got a lot of feeling in them. I think those elements are much better song-wise than people that can just sit there and basically just self-serve themselves for 30 minutes and show off what they can do i've never been interested in using music that way
0: good point i think you got a very very good point there
1: Uh, i want to tell you a funny story quick so
0: i when i was younger i always i always wanted to be in a band i don't know what it was i just always thought it would be the most incredible thing to be able to do and i was about 10 when i got got into drums i had i now had a kit and I was playing and I was really into Billy Talent and I was able to yeah. play one or two of their songs and I was going for it. And I had just watched School of Rock. And School of Rock was so cool to me because it was the <laughs> idea of these kids being in this really big band that could potentially go somewhere. And I used to sit in bed and think to myself, Oh man, you know, what if what if I, I join this this you know, just, just join a band and I could become, you know, this kid that just travels the world and, and I'm really good and all sort of crap. Anyway. During the same period, I used to go for drum lessons just mm. to kind of get my get my um, arithmetic sorted with my you know being able to read what 's on paper, being able to distinguish what I need to distinguish from a song and one of the <laughs> one of the exercises that my lecturer said to me or my school my music teacher said to me, and it was it wasn 't a, a music school it was a house where a guy would give music lessons out of a room, yeah you know? and yeah, one of the <laughs> And, and one of the exercises that he said to me, Sheldon, so what we do is once a term, I will get you and a guitarist and a bassist together, all, all in That's the same song. age, and then you guys will practice a song. And I just, I couldn't stop thinking about this. And it was only about two months away, but I used to sit in bed and I used to think, I used to listen to Billy Talent and just think to myself, how, how amazing is this going to be when I meet these guys? Mm. They're all my age, you know. And he says that they're all in the same sort of skill set as I am, so we'll be able to sit down. What if, what if we genuinely become this incredible Wunderkind band? <laughs> and um, I just couldn't stop obsessing over it until about you know the, the week before. And he's like, "Yeah, don't worry, come in, come in next week, and I'm gonna have these two guys. This is their names, and I'm so excited." And I can't stop thinking about it. And it's the day I go in. And it's these two seven year olds. Oh, <laughs> and no. they've just started playing guitar. And the song that we had to practice together was I got you babe. Oh right. I got you, babe. And I just um I just sat there, and I just thought, Oh man, these are little kids. I'm not gonna be able to throw the world at these little
1: kids. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, yeah, my first forays into playing collaboratively were very similar. Where I think I, I can't remember. I've got a vague memory of trying to play music all together. I can't even remember if it was at school or what it was, but I I do distinctly remember that we could not even begin playing all in the same time all at once. Like, our skill level was just so low that we couldn't even begin. Like, it was... How old were you? Oh, maybe... Year six, seven, eight. So, what's that? That's 14? 12, 13, 14 years old. You couldn't play at 14? Not really, no. I only started playing guitar in year... Probably in like year 9, year 10. And then singing was around there as well. So about 14, 15 years old. So yeah, I remember just beginning. And that beginning stage is so frustrating because you want to play so much, but you can play so little. <laughs> I thought you have been playing for a long
0: time, like longer than that.
1: No, music... If, I, if I look around. at your skills,
0: then I think you've been playing for... 15 years. Yeah, oh, cheers, man. But
1: I think when I did play, when I began to play, it's it's it was one of those things where it became obsessive. You know, you, you find your thing and you, you want to play all day, every day. But I was always kind of... My brother had given up music at that stage, so I kind of... And then the school I was going to at that stage wasn't really into music in that way. It was more choir and concerto and all that type of stuff. So, Concerto. <laughs> when I played music, it was pop music by myself. All by myself. Playing guitar. And that's why I used to sing at the same time. And that's kind of how I began.
0: Did you ever do that thing where you had your guitar wrapped around you and you'd put music on and you'd play in front of the mirror by yourself?
1: Even yeah. though you didn't know the chords. I used to learn live. Oh, you mean not even plug the guitar in? No, like I mean just like <laughs> just like
0: pretend. You, you you must have done that. Uh,
1: when I was first starting it out, it was just. Oh. I still do that. People on 25. make it. People make it look so easy, don't they? And you just their fingers are just sliding all around the fretboard. And you just like, man, how do they know what to play and when? Like, it's so frustrating. I used to try and learn live sets from beginning to end and then p- put on the DVD and play the set. That's really cool. I used to do I used to be able to play Ramstein Volkaball, which is live in Nimes, France. I used to be able to play Richard's parts from the first song to the end. And I used to, you know, hook, hook this guitar I'm looking at right now into a crappy little amp turn on the gain all the way up to 10 <laughs> and just play it, you know? That's cool as hell, man. Um,
0: I, th- I used to do the same sort of thing with, uh, y- you've heard of Billy Talent, right? Yeah. I used to love Billy Talent. They were one of the first big bands that I really got into and their music was quite translatable for somebody like me. I don't know what it was. I was just able to sort of understand how to play what they were playing. Anyway, so I used to do the same with Uh, their live album which was called Triple Six now it was just what they had done is their set list consisted of 18 songs and they performed in let's say Stockholm uh, Germany and Norway whatever I don't know and they would take six songs from they would take the first six songs from the first place second Mm. six songs from the second you understand what I'm saying and then they just compiled and the whole idea was Triple Six and I couldn't wait to get this dvd and i come from a super conservative family like a very conservative family you know mm. hardcore and i went to go buy this dvd and i was watching it the one day my mom came up came into my room and she grabbed the thing because i was hiding a little bit i was hiding the actual dvd case just a little bit under my pillow because i didn't want it out in the open and she saw it and she just saw <gasps>
2: triple six
0: <laughs> and i got <laughs> oh, into no. so much trouble but I used to do the same thing. I used, to, I used to kind of imagine that I was... The guy's name was Aaron, Aaron Solowonyuk. I used to imagine I was him. I could just play all these songs. Man, it was so
1: cool. Mm.
0: Anyway. So we've got a couple of questions that we had uh, for each other. Do you want to maybe kick that off? Do you want me to kick that off?
1: Kick it off, Sheldon. You sure? Yeah.
0: Okay. So we wanted to kind of have a little bit of a back and forth around some topics so that you know these podcasts are... A little bit centralised around a good old theme. And one of the questions we wanted to ask each other was the best and worst concerts that we have ever attended.
1: Mm. What was your first concert you ever went to? Um,
0: The first one... Besides like the Wiggles when you're... <laughs> yeah, and besides like, you know, your, your, your school yeah
1: like you know putting on a like a band's come to town you've bought tickets for 80 bucks and you're like oh let's go what's the first time
0: i think the first one wasn't one that i went to i mean it wasn't one that i wanted to go to i just had to go to it because my mom wanted to go to it but i think it was brian adams
1: brian adams uh you sing summer of 69 yeah 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 and he does everything i do i do for you yeah yeah i know that yeah was that cool
0: It was. It was pretty good. You know, he he has this, from from what I can tell, is he really tries to be Bruce Springsteen hardcore. (laughs) I don't know if that's true. He's a
1: poor man's Bruce
0: Springsteen. Exactly. But he was generally very good. But to be fair, he was performing in front of like 40,000 people. So you have to be really shit to not be able to make that work. Mm. You know, that was the very first concert that I went to, just because I had to. The first concert that I wanted to go to, I
1: think, was 30 Seconds to Mars. Oh, I can probably pick the year that was. That that peak where they released that album with... um, What's that one song they do? Don't
2: take me down... Oh, The Kill. Yeah, The that
1: Kill. That song is amazing. That is... I remember when that was released, that's all that was on the radio. It was everywhere. That song was everywhere. It's a
0: really good song, man. So I, you are right. I went to go see them during their... A beautiful lie era, yeah. and I went to go see them during their This Is War era. Saw them both times. They were amazing. Like Jared Leto is a dick, and he's a pedophile, and he is. Have you heard about this stuff? No, allegedly. allegedly. <laughs> but have you? Have you not seen stuff like that where he's got? He's a bit of a. He's a bit of a strange man, isn't he? He's got like sixteen-year-old girls talking on Twitter about how he's done, how about how he's had sex with them. And the thing is, he's um, he's he's almost fifty. Is he? He's almost, he looks
1: good for his age. To be fair, he's got um, like mega abs. He's a he's a bit of a strange one. Yeah.
0: Anyway, what about yours? What's the What's the very first concert you ever went to?
1: Alice Cooper was the first concert that I went to, and that was one of those bands where you think you're never going to see them, like they're on the wish list, but then suddenly it's announced they're coming to your town. He's like, what? It's like, it's just mind blowing that this guy, like I said in the last podcast, that Welcome to My Nightmare album was everywhere. So it became, oh, what was the tour? Psychodrama or something like that. It wasn't linked to an album or anything like that, but it was like a, like a best of kind of tour. The live show had everything it had. He got hanged on stage, he got guillotined, he got... <laughs>
0: well, obviously it's part of the theatrics. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I mean the the opening song that he had like the, the big kind of uh, curtain come up on the stage with Alice Cooper written on it and then the the opening riff of It's Hot Tonight started playing and then his shadow came up on stage and he had the the... The walking stick or whatever it is, and the the cane and the the top hat, and it was just his iconic silhouette that just came up on stage. We was like, oh my god! But then he's kind of he's you know stamping along to the music, and then another another silhouette of Alice Cooper comes next to it, and it's dressed the same, and it gets out a knife and stabs <laughs> stabs the first silhouette and kills him, and then. The song kicks in, and then the curtain drops, and the real Alice Cooper is now on stage, and he kicks this body double that stresses him down the steps and wipes out the blood of the knife. And I'm just dude, like, that's cool as hell. That's the, how it's how he opened the gig, and I'm just like, what? Like, my, I think I was in year five at the time. I was like 11 years old, and my mind was just blown. Like, it's the coolest opening to a concert ever. I that mean, is cool. it was a long time ago. It would have been 2006. I can't remember it. I remember flashes of it, but th- this was before the time of smartphones. So I looked it up the other day, see if there's any recordings of it on YouTube. There's nothing.
0: Yeah, they, 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 I do the same. I have I try and find like old school concerts that I've been at, Yeah. but there never is, dude. No. Specifically, not if you're from South Africa. Nobody had phones up until about two years ago.
1: Mm. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was... It was everything that I expected of it and he did all the songs. Like, my favourite songs of his aren't necessarily the the big singles but he did... It was like my perfect set list and it was just so cool. And his merch was the best I've ever seen. Like, everything was personally signed and he had pics that the guitarists used and posters and, like... Then The merch was just insane. Did you get something? Yeah, I got a t-shirt, a signed poster, and my brother got uh, signed uh, um, pics from all the guitarists like, and that stuff was just readily available, like the time he would have spent just before the gig just signing stuff. I mean, he's a real good example of like, just an old school rock and roll star from that generation where it's this next level.
0: That's cool, man, you know, when you say that, when you say like old school rock and roll star, I was thinking about that today. So I was looking at this artist that I used to be in university with, Rima told you about Mm. just that. And it was this artist that was in my year, and I wanted to see, oh, I wonder if she's released any music lately. And basically she's been going on these little tiny press tours. In South Africa, you know, something very, very simple, you know, a couple of one, two or three very small scale radio stations and one television appearance. And then I was watching the interviews and I thought to myself, you know, it's all very reserved and above board and mm. it seems very strict. And then I think back to the Motley Crew days. <laughs> it was just so wild. Yeah. And it was so crazy. I mean, I'm sure there's been interviews where... You know, you've had somebody, you know, a band go into a, a radio interview and they just like swear too much and they say crazy shit and then they just get kicked out because they're just too raucous and too wild. That must be so cool, but that shit can't happen anymore. No. Tell it's... me I'm wrong. Tell me that you can have, you, you can be part oh. of a band and you can just be so crazy wired up. You can go into an interview for a radio station
1: and you can just balls it up and you don't care thinking of bands that could get away with that and all of them at least at at most were started like were big around the 90s
0: yeah exactly you can't do it anymore Mm. even if you think about let's take it to the point where it's the the most hardcore bands if slipknot did that people would be like "Ugh! did you hear they were just totally off their face horrible i don't want them in my studio again But if Motley Crue did stuff like that, it increased their persona. People were like,
1: oh, that's badass. You just gotta look at the Marilyn Manson stuff. Like, recently, you know, his antics in 2021 just are not accepted in any way, shape, or form. I remember in 2012 at Soundwave Festival in Brisbane, he rocked up on stage and he barely got through a set. He was just on the floor, off his face screaming into the mic not even singing the song it was just a shit show from beginning to end and people really turned off by it really yeah people like what the hell's wrong with him like that was really crap like what what is the go whereas maybe in the 90s they would have been like yeah they're so hardcore man (laughs) i don't know goofed yeah yeah
0: i don't know man i i do want to say what you're saying i think there's a bit of a difference between a performance and a interview because i would imagine that a band that has established themselves, they don't need an interview. They don't need to go and do an interview if they didn't have... If if they didn't go and sit in on that interview, their band's not going to fall apart the next day. Yeah. So if you had to ruin something like that, I don't think you can make it cool anymore. I think think you could have made it cool back in the day when it was a band like Motley Crue and shit like that, but I don't think you can make it cool anymore.
1: I think... Maybe the illusion's been destroyed a little bit where now with Instagram and Twitter and Facebook where our access to celebrities is so close now. Like, you can direct tweet anyone. Perhaps this... We've peeked behind the curtain too much. It's like the Wizard of Oz, you know? There's this big, massive man and... He seems larger than life. Then you peek behind the curtain; he's like a little decrepit old person. You know, it's kind of maybe the same with celebrities. In the seventies, eighties, nineties, we held these people up to be larger than life. But then now, they tweet or they post pictures of their dog on Instagram or have a story where they're on the beach with their kids or something like that. And this illusion's maybe broken a little bit because we maybe have too much access. You know what? That is
0: actually an amazing point. And I'll tell you why. Because I've been thinking about that. And it's such, it actually makes so much sense when you put it like that. Post Malone, alright? Post Malone used to grow up and he was, I mean he's a superstar now. He is, he's massive. He's yeah. huge, huge, huge. And he grew up, and when he grew up he was very sort of every ish He used to be on Twitter all the time. He used to appear on um, YouTubers' videos. Mm. He used to be in podcasts nonstop, just trying to sort of build his brand. And he released his album Stony, and he still carried on doing that. And you know, you could send him a, a message on Twitter, and you might get a response. Or you could tweet at him, and he might give you something funny back. He released beer bongs and Bentleys, and same thing. You know, he was still that that sort of your buddy who just happened to make great music yeah. and got big. But then something happened. When he released his third album, Hollywood's Bleeding, he vanished.
1: Mm.
0: He does none of his own interpersonal shit anymore from a digital perspective. He doesn't tweet his own tweets. It's all sponsored and it's all coming Mm. from a corporate. It's all got a link in it. He never tweets out his his sort of opinions and his perspectives. same thing with his Instagram. Whenever he posts anything, it's either a still from a photo shoot or it's a still from a concert Something like that. Mm. It's never what he used to do, okay? And when I saw this, I said things to myself, I wonder why. I wonder why he did that. Why he, he totally stopped just interacting with his fans on a daily basis. And when you say that, it makes sense. Mm. It makes sense to not want that very sharp, divine connection between yourself and a fan if you're trying to get that big. If mm. you then cause that separation, Then you try and hold on to that mentality of, I am famous, I am big, look how big I am. And I'm going to be very self-ostracized. I'm going to be very quiet. And that helps with that sort of
2: mystique.
1: Yeah. Also, marketing and social media and posting several things a day on all the different Distrib- distributing social medias, that takes a lot of work like when we get to scale that's going to be the main thing that's going to you know, besides booking gigs getting our name out there through all the different marketing channels is a massive undertaking that's why we've got you and Elliot going to be helping with that, it's a two man job it takes a lot of work so I can imagine, let's say he's been up all night every day, all day appearing on this, doing that to get his name out there and then he releases that album. He he gets signed. He's huge. They're going to blow him up everywhere. And then you've got a man in a suit saying, hey, you don't have to worry about marketing anymore. We're going to put a million dollar machine behind you. Cool. All you have to worry about is playing live and making music. (laughs) He would probably be like, that sounds pretty cool. I don't have to do all this stuff that takes as much work and I can just do the fun stuff.
0: You make a good point, but... He's not only turned, you know, kind of like slowed down on personal tweeting. I, I'm, I'm using tweeting now as an example because it's something that's in my head. He used to tweet when he would watch Netflix or when he would be playing a PS4 game. He'd tweet and just be like, yo, anybody on PSN right now? Mm. Shit like that. That doesn't happen. I'm sure he still plays PlayStation. I'm sure that now, specifically during quarantine, when all studios... Um, I mean, when um, all live performances were halted, I'm sure he had some free time on his hands. Not a single tweet came out of his mouth, came out of his thumbs. Uh, Why? It's,
1: it's a great weapon. It is a great weapon for marketing. I mean, we should... I think we, every band should do that. I think some bands seem too perfect. Seem, they seem too put together by a label. And perhaps if they tweeted what they had for breakfast or you know, where they went for a walk that day, that maybe that would humanise them a little bit and actually get people to be more involved with them. Because that's, that's why people become fans, because they feel like that artist's creation has identified with them in some sort of way. And if that artist shows more of who they are, that could only help the process. Yes, I agree. I think that there's
0: probably a limit to it i think that there's you know i think that there's a a portion where you could probably stop and still hold on to a lot of that sort of elevated Mm. elevated emotion but i think it is important that is i think it is something that would be cool i mean i always think to myself that when my podcast takes off you know doesn't matter how many emails i get every day i'd want to respond to each one of them to be like hey man thanks for listening oh thanks for sending me this all that sort of stuff but sometimes that doesn't happen sometimes you know people just genuinely get so large and just genuinely get so big. I can't imagine it happening to me. I think I'd always want to be
1: that sort of cool guy. You'd hope so. Um, I'd hope I'd try and still engage with people who take the effort to follow what I do, but maybe we just as laymans, we can't understand the absolute, you know, roaring chaos that followed some of these people around. For sure. Like I remember Ariana Grande, a video of her got leaked where she was in a hot, uh, she was in a donut shop and there was this donut that was just ridiculous. It had like 50 million flavors on it and had sour straps on them. It had lollies. It was just the most extravagant, just diabetes on a plate basically. And she got leaked saying, oh my God, only in America could this donut exist. I hate America. And then Davis, they took that context out. Ariana Grande says she hates America. And then she <laughs> had to come out and publicly apologize. That's madness. You know, man. so sometimes maybe these people get so big that they just go, ah, screw it. Like, it's not worth the effort. That's a good point. That could be something that
0: Post Malone might have just been like, you know what, I've just released my third album. I'm bigger than I've ever been. I now charge 1.5 million for a show. I'm um, I'm not going to even attempt to have my name tarnished by a stupid tweet yeah. or a stupid photo so I'm just gonna leave it so I think you make a very very good point I always, always just think about him I hope he's
1: okay post Malone. yeah I worry for these guys I remember the Beatles used to say that when they finally met Elvis you know they say never meet your heroes they said when they finally met Elvis it was pretty sad because they went through they went to his massive mansion or whatever and there was, you know, um, you know, security guards and this, all these people, this these throngs of hordes of people. They had to just push through to actually get to see him. And then once they finally got to see him, he was just like a lonely man, just kind of chilling out in his lounge room. That's terrible. And, and that he kind of was just like, "Oh, hey guys," <laughs> you know. So maybe they said that at least with the Beatles, there was four of them. Whereas when Elvis... Elvis was the biggest thing in the world. It was just him. So you can't... I worry for these... These massive acts. So it's, it's just them. That's a good point. they're the only ones that can know... Post Malone's the only one that knows... What Post Malone's like. Like what his life is like. Whereas the One Direction lads... You know there was numerous... There were several members. And they all know what it felt like... To be in One Direction. Whereas like Amy Winehouse she was the only one who could tell you what being Amy Winehouse was like and in the end it proved to be too much
0: well you know what you know when you mention something like that i think about uh good old good old justin bieber good old jb like that guy he, you know he went from being a nobody to being the biggest star on the planet i mean i don't think that i think it was i think it was elvis michael jackson and i honestly i think that he's that there's only been 3 people who've achieved that level of intense major fame and i think that's as i said elvis michael jackson and justin bieber and he released i always used to think man like what what a life it must be to be able to travel the world make millions of dollars a day just see the coolest things and you know he released that song at the end of 2020 about how lonely he was
1: yeah i mean to go from I don't know, sometimes like obviously the goal of the band is that we become professional musicians and that we can do the niche for a living, but you see someone like Justin Bieber who got found by who found him again? The Usher, Usher found him from that YouTube video that he made, and overnight he becomes this you know child prodigy. Maybe these people that get made. Maybe that's not the way to go. Because a lot of them can't handle it. You have got to look at people like Kurt Cobain as well. Like people that just... Do we want to make it? I do know. I do. <laughs> but, you know, these, these people... Like, There's plenty of warnings out there for people that don't look after themselves.
0: Good point. Good point, good point, good point. So, to kind of uh, carousel ourselves back to one of the things we were talking about is we were discussing the... Some of, the, some of the best concerts we've ever seen. Yeah. So you now know the, my, my first concert. Um, I want to ask you now, what was the best concert you've ever seen and why was it the best?
1: Oh, man. I've got three that come straight to mind. Um, the first one that comes to mind is Liam Gallagher because I waited all day to get in the front row. And I got in the front row and when he came out, it was I'm sure the listeners and you can think of as well, these when we love music, when we go to a concert, sometimes it becomes almost like a religious experience. Like it just gets to this next level where it's not just listening to music anymore, you're just so in the moment that it gets, so when he came out he was wearing a Parker and he did the strut and he was it was just he was so he was so Liam Gallagher. Does that make sense? Like, it was so him. And I just couldn't make sense that that's actually him. I was named after Liam Gallagher. I don't know if you know that. Oh, that's that.
0: cool. I didn't know that.
1: Well, I was born in 96, which was when um, What's the Story Morning Glory came out. So, to see this guy. And then I, was, I persevered and I wore a Umbro sports jacket zipped all the way up. <laughs> Even though it was in fortitude valley musical and it was so hot but he made eye contact me eye contact with me and he, he pointed to the long sleeves he was like fucking nice man like like
0: Where was this this was recently
1: yeah behind you there's the set list from that day 2019 oh damn but um yeah he was like respect for wearing the long sleeves even though we're in a we're in a hot venue
0: so why i don't understand why you wore the long sleeves
1: fashion man
0: did, did it have something to do with him
1: yeah, he always wears the parkers and the sports jacket. I mean, there's a whole fashion linked to that that movement. So he used to, he he wears stuff like that all the time as well. So That's
0: cool, man. Yeah, I used to work at this place.
1: Um, the other one's Paul McCartney. Seeing Paul McCartney live, that was probably the, the the main one where I couldn't believe it was actually the guy. Like every single black and white footage you see of the Beatles, every single mo- memory, every single. Thing you've ever seen. That's actually Paul, from all of those. That's him standing there. And not only is that him, he's singing "Let It Be" and "Hey Jude" and these songs you've heard a million times. Like that was surreal to see a Beatle live. Where did you see him? Suncorp Stadium.
0: Oh yeah, you probably so saw at a yeah. stadium. I don't know if um, a lot of artists come to Brisbane anymore. Uh, well, Post Post was here in. In May 2019, I just I wanted to buy tickets for the concert, and I arrived in Australia two weeks after the event. Mm. But I don't know how popular Brisbane is. Um, I think
1: Melbourne and Sydney is the first. It's getting better. When I was growing up, in I mean, usually Brisbane gets. If if a band's doing Australia properly, they always come to Brisbane. But if an international band just wants to stop in and to Australia just to say they've done it. It's just Melbourne and Sydney. But
0: that—that's that, what I'm thinking. Yeah, but that's
1: getting less and less common. Brisbane's usually included now these days. Cool. Um, and then there was another concert that I went to, John Butler Trio. Very famous in Australia. Uh, he's pretty. F- he's somewhat famous in America as well because he's originally from America. But I got some ticket for like a flood relief charity show down in Caloundra. Um just to see him, because I I saw him at the Big Day Out, which is a pretty big festival down here. I thought it was cool, so I wanted to see him again. And he announced this local show, and it was originally gonna be at the Caloundra Beach Amphitheatre, which is where they have the big Caloundra festival, so thousands of people. But the day of, there was like a, a hurricane offshore, so it was just pissing down with rain. I thought it was gonna get canceled, and it did, but they kept the concert going by moving it into the town hall. So this guy who should be playing for thousands of people in this outdoor venue, kind of like River Stage, was now playing in this pokey, dingy little town hall. And it was all ages and there was just people packed in and we got up the front. And it was just seeing this huge band in this tiny little pokey venue, the energy in that room that night was probably the... Best energy I've ever been a part of. No matter what band I've seen, that that energy in that gig was just next level.
0: That's badass man. I've I've heard of a lot of artists say that though, where they say that you know the best shows they've ever played have been in smaller venues as opposed to big stadiums because you sort of get a little bit of, a little bit disconnected from the crowd. Mm. I mean, you know who Bam Margera is, right? Yeah. He used to perform as a um, as a as a as a rap guy, and he used to travel Australia quite a lot and I don't know what it was but he was quite into Australia and he always used to perform at these super super small venues and I always used to think man that must be so such a such a weird thing to do but if you look at, at footage of these performances it's so high energy there's so much going on mm. it's just like everybody's in your face and you're just having the time of your life
1: I would rather play to 50 people in a 60 person venue than a hundred people in a 400 people venue. Easy, any day of the week. Yeah, it just seems a little bit empty, doesn't it? There was one weird opportunity that I got when I was in a band um, where my mate was doing live sound, a course in that, and we got to play at the Hi-Fi, which is Brisbane's. It, was, it doesn't exist anymore, but it was like a medium sizeish venue for like pretty big bands, but nothing extravagant. It probably like Fortitude Valley Music Hall, a lot like size. Like if maybe... How many does that seat? Like a thousand?
0: Probably like two thousand.
1: Mm, yeah, it's probably something like that.
0: Well, it's seat or you can just pretty stand. much have them in... Seat and stand?
1: Yeah. It's like a, it's like the size of like the Tivoli.
0: Yeah, you know what? It's probably, like, it's probably like a thousand.
1: Yeah, so we're in like a medium venue. Large-ish. And he was in the sound booth and he got local bands in to play. And... It was to no one. <laughs> I mean, it was just to the people doing the course. So in a like a thousand person venue, we're probably playing to like 12 people. So That's I mean, he, awful. he did say there's not, not going to be anyone in the venue, but I thought it was going to be a cool opportunity because we got to put all our stuff on a big professional stage. We got to put our music through the PA of a large venue and then chill backstage where these, these acts that we love have chilled out before, and and we got to play a live set in this large venue, and I didn't know what to expect, but it was surreal to be on the stage. There's some it was I was taken aback by how big the stage felt. So I've played in these tiny little pokey things, but I had a drummer at the time, and he felt like kilometres away. It just there was so much space, and the strange thing was that you'd think that in a large venue you would be really, really loud, but it was the opposite. I could barely hear us because the PA was in front of us, in, it's all in like, front of this massive venue. It's like facing. It's like facing the crowd instead of facing. Yeah, you. and and the stage was a little bit back from the PA, so all I could hear was coming out of the little uh, on on stage monitors, which was. Not loud enough. So,
0: damn, that's interesting. It's weird eh? in a l-
1: really large, massive venue. I could barely hear hear us, and yep. that's without crowd noise. What was it like being backstage? Fun. It was cool. It yeah. was like you went up this little pokey stairs, and it went into like this room was pretty large-ish room. Had like its own kitchen and bathroom. There were like these big sofas there, and I could just imagine. You know, that being packed and you just chilling out before the gig up. It would be so fun. And
0: there's that, like, butterflies of excitement knowing you're going to perform. Yeah, and then um, when it was
1: time for us to come down, they uh, like, someone from the course came and said, all right, you guys can come on stage now. And it was almost like someone being like, go, go, go. And we, <laughs> and we could walk down the steps onto this massive stage and I could just, like, picture what it would be like if that That's was cool. cool. It was really cool.
0: One day, man, one day. So talking about this Fortitude musical, just in regards to this, I worked there on the day that the um, the band Skakes were performing. Yeah, and they were pretty wild. They just had, they just had these teenage kids, all of them teenagers. Like we had to ID everybody twice Shit. because all these teenage they, they just looked so young, and at, they were at the oldest, like eighteen years old. Wow! But they were just ready to party. Mm. and Skanks came on and they had this massive stage presence you know we had a really good sound system as well so they just sounded great and they just had tons of energy and it was friggin' crazy and then at the end of the day uh, they go into the green room and um, I'm the bar guy that needs to clean up uh, that sort of little section and I go in the back and this whole green room just stinks of sweat and weed (laughs) (laughs) sweat and weed and I go in and there's just naked guys naked chicks Um, and I was just like damn this isn't even that massive crazy of a venue you know it's just like it's you know it was pretty wild the actual show and then just in the back and it was only it was only about half past nine because the show started about seven so by the time that I started cleaning it was like half past nine it's just nudity and I was like
1: damn that's crazy what is this debauchery exactly you boys need to think about your mortgage <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's pretty wild I, so when I was working there they had Two Door Cinema Club play the month after I left because ah. I had to move to Sydney and I was so upset that's that is one band I wanted to meet so bad because they performed in Johannesburg when I was still living there mm. I was a bartender at the function at the event they were performing at the only reason I wanted to go work there was so that I could go there so that I could go and watch them. And I requested for my lunch break to be when they were performing, so that I could go and watch them. And I had to stand very far away, and I couldn't really see them that well, but I just wanted to see them so bad. And then when they were performing in Fortitude Music Hall, I wanted to meet them. I so badly wanted to meet them, and I just never did.
1: Man. I've never met that many celebrities. Someone asked me that the other day. He's the most famous person you've ever met. Besides, like, footy players. <laughs> Football okay. players? Yeah. Have you met Shane Crawford? Uh, Do you know who he is? Yeah, of course. He's a run the brown though, yeah. A Hawthorne footballer.
0: I ate shit in front of him so hard. <laughs> Did I ever tell you that?
1: Yeah, wasn't it on the Celebrity Get Me Out of You? Yeah. Right- tripped over with thousands of dollars of camera equipment. Dude, literally,
0: it was about $40,000 of camera equipment. Oh. And the, the, the director just beeps into my ear. He's like, get
1: out of the shot right now.
0: And I just run, dude, and I just stumble my feet, and I just eat shit <laughs> so hard in front of this guy. And he was so cool about it. He was like, "Yo, you okay?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'm fine. I'm probably gonna get fired now, but I'm alright." Anyway, so we're back. I have Elliot here. Hey, hey guys. Elliot. Hey, man. What's up, man?
2: You know, man, just the usual. Yeah. I'm uh, pretty excited to rehearse tonight. Oh, nice, nice, nice. Yeah, we're gonna do some hair
0: Cool. So, Elliot, I have been talking to Liam just in regards to some themes, and I want to hear what you have to say as well. What was the first concert you ever went to?
2: First concert? Uh, Good Charlotte. You went to
0: see Good Charlotte? Yeah. When was that? Don't ask
2: me what tour it was. It was when...
0: It was their Good Morning Revival
2: tour, wasn't it? You know, I think it was the one after that. Could have been when they put out Like It's Her Birthday.
1: Oh, it's the cardiology tour. Yes, yes. Yeah.
2: Um, but you know they still. Does that mean old. we've
1: all seen Good Charlotte?
2: Lives? I've <laughs> never seen them. Oh, you've never seen I them? I wanted to go see them so bad, dude! Unbelievable! Unbelievable! <laughs> Were they good? Yeah, it was great. First concert, unbelievable. That's really um, sweet. But the only thing was, you know, I think I was oh, it would have been like fifteen, sixteen, and it gets rough. Get up in the mosh, man. That was a full-on mosh. Did you mosh? Oh, I tried. I've been too
0: scared. <laughs> I still haven't gone.
2: Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I've had a lot of moshes. There's been uh, bloodshed in the mosh. <laughs> nice band.
0: I've always yeah. wanted to see Good Charlotte live. So we had this thing called Fest back in South Africa where it would be a bunch of bands throughout the day. And you, as a participant of the concert, you got the chance to stick your hand in this huge drum of buttons and there was five yellow buttons in an otherwise thing of about 10,000 red you stuck your hand in blindfolded you pulled it out it was yellow you got to choose which of the band members you could meet Whoa. you could literally, literally oh you want a yellow one you go thank you I want to meet Corn because they were performing and I had a friend who met Good Charlotte
1: that's pretty cool she says they were pretty
0: cool
2: and red, you fall in a pit of snakes, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: easy way to get rid of a bunch of people, yeah <laughs>
1: you take the risk <laughs> yeah.
0: so yeah, man, uh, I think that's cool. so would you say that, that that's the best concert you've ever seen?
2: Ooh. I would say man i've been to I've been to quite a few. One of the standout concerts for me was Weezer. I don't know if you like Weezer, an American band, a little bit nerdy.
0: I'm trying to think what they sing.
2: Um, what's their,
0: what's their biggest one?
2: Probably, honestly, it's not my favorite, but Island in the Sun maybe.
0: No way, man! They've got a specific song that I just—it's like from American Pie. Well, my thing by Weeders. Is it? Um. Oh,
1: you think thinking Weeders. It's Weeders. Yeah, yeah, I think my teenage so similar, sound. a similar kind of sound, like American sort of. yeah, slightly nerdy.
2: Yeah. Um. Anyway, so I was I was really into Weezer at the time, and normally it doesn't fall in. You know, normally. I'll have my phase and then six months later the band will come and tour. Yeah. And I'll be kind of over them, but you've got to go, you know? But <laughs> it, it just happened at the perfect moment when I was fully into Weezer and they came to Brisbane. So it was perfect. I feel like I've
1: got the magic touch like that as well. Like whenever I feel like I'm into a band, suddenly out of nowhere they're coming to Brisbane. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty like right. that. Maybe I just never like noticed
2: like, before. Mm.
0: So, like, where I'm from, we don't. We very rarely get international acts. Damn. If we do, it's a huge thing. As an mm. example, we had Rihanna perform. Oh, that'd be cool. And, um, and everybody was just going crazy. And my mom got me tickets. And I was, like, excited about it, even though I don't like Rihanna. I had no reason to want to go. But I still went. Um, it wasn't that bad, to be honest. It was actually not that bad. But one of the best concerts, if not the best concerts I've ever gone to, was 30 Seconds to Mars. I saw them twice. So I saw them during their "A Beautiful Lie" tour and mm. during their "This Is War" tour.
2: What if I wanted to
0: do? And that's the song been, can you imagine singing.
2: Imagine we've that. already been singing that on Holy this podcast. Crap. He, he
0: actually, <laughs> dude, oh. it's such a good song, but he didn't—they—they did not perform that. They performed it acoustically. Aw,
2: oh. just lame. No, oh, yeah, yeah, an man. acoustic
0: song, an acoustic version <sighs> of
1: that. But it was Shit, still acoustic versions.
0: It was—it was so wild. It was absolutely incredible. The first time that I went. We were just packed in the standing area, but you were just far enough back that you weren't really jumping up too much. You were more so just standing and enjoying yourself, because you were kind of like three quarters in. Mm. I mean, no, you, you were like you were like three quarters at bad. the back. That's
2: kind of where you want to be, probably.
0: No, I was three quarters at the back.
2: Oh, three quarters at the back. So
0: so you're not really that involved Ouch. with the rest of the no, no, so no, you were no. just kind of watching. But when I went the second time, nice. my girlfriend and I, we were nice, no. right in the front row. Yeah. Literally, like, Jared Leto was about four meters away from us. And he took his shirt off halfway through. And I was so annoyed because he's built so well. I didn't want (laughs) my girlfriend to see it. So I was like, hey, put that back. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want my girlfriend thinking that that's possible post-40. And he obviously didn't because the dude, you know, he worships his his body. But that was amazing. It was such a cool experience. I loved it. And the first time I went, we just stood all crammed up like that. And you just stand with your legs all straight. For about six or seven hours, mm-hmm. not, not not
2: that many, maybe four. Actually, I want to change my favorite best concert. Best concert was Blink One Eighty Two when they. You came. saw Blink yeah. with Tom. Best with Tom, ah. and he was going through his like Angels and Airways transition phase, so he had like the polo and the. <laughs> he had the look, <laughs> The Steve was, Jobs look. I loved that. I loved that look, and then um, I was with my friend, and I was, we got there pretty late because he was. Fluffing around but I was I was getting to the front um and anyway so I hustled my way to the front left my friend I was there by myself dude it was like on the barrier right in front right in front of Tom as well yes and that again was right in the middle of my blink phase
1: I was like that's amazing yeah
2: it was unbelievable
1: one of these one of you know those gigs where you just never think you're ever gonna see that band and then for some reason they come to Australia you're just like this is gonna be nuts. Like one of those ones for me was Rammstein. Oh, I got to see them live, and I was like, they never come to Australia. They never tour. They're getting older. They're in, they're German. They never got. Why would they come out to Australia? And then for, out of nowhere, they announced they're doing the big day out, and oh, you had okay. to be over sixteen. And they, I was like, shit, I was 15 at the time. <laughs> and I was like, no, God, no, not like, no. they were like my my life at that time. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to miss this band. And my birthday is on the 22nd of January. They were playing on the second day of Big Day Out on the 23rd of January. So I just You're literally joking. just wow. got in. Oh, I get it. Did they actually take the <laughs> I was going to say, man, imagine that. I could have just gone, amazing. but seeing them live was just... That was probably more surreal than Paul McCartney because he tours all the time. But with Ramstein. They, they haven't been back to Australia since. When was this? 2011? Damn. Uh, maybe 2012? Well, it was probably the last decent big day out ever.
2: Did you ever go to Soundwave?
1: I never went to Soundwave.
2: Wow. But it was so one, was one,
1: one thing with Ramstein was that I was like halfway back and I could still feel the heat of the pyro and the flames. During Fire Frey, they literally attached flamethrowers to their faces. I've seen that, yeah. And then during "Benzin," this guy got up on stage pretending to be a streaker until the lead singer literally gets a flamethrower and just (laughs) just flame all over him. Oh, man. And I could feel the heat. I can't even imagine what being in the front row would have felt like.
0: That's pretty cool, man. I mean, Ramstein. I um, I actually showed my girlfriend a video of them performing um, Ram Four. Mm. Uh, it's their, it was an it was their first opening song. In, I think it was at Hellfest, and they opened with the song. And they just have the most incredible stage presence. Mm. It's madness. They are so good at what they do. Yeah. You get your money's worth. They should go Sounds forever. Like, yeah. They're
1: like fifty eight or whatever. They should just keep going. Just it's go forever
0: <laughs> yeah so to be honest i'm um i'm a little bit melancholy at the moment because i can't believe you get us you got to see blink dude
1: yeah that sucks twice That's,
0: twice, twice, twice?
2: So, um they had a separate concert before i saw them at Soundwave as well yeah <sighs> i don't
0: even like that that when you mentioned bands that i've always wanted to see did i was so into blink when i was younger it was it was everything to yeah me. I absolutely everything the fact that that I, I mean, I, they never even came to South Africa, never did, yeah. and um, I always wanted to see them specifically while Tom was still in there. Yeah. If they, if, if they announced the Australian tour tomorrow, I wouldn't go watch him The no,
2: Travis, no, they probably
1: wouldn't have there. Travis either because he doesn't travel anymore.
2: Yeah, Travis wasn't there. He Travis, wasn't there. no, was he not? No,
1: I don't. I can't remember who no. he was
2: drumming, but it wasn't Travis. Because I know
0: that when they did the, a, a big Australian tour a couple of years back, he came by a boat. Wow. He came three months beforehand because wow. I, I I read his book, and he came three months beforehand because he um he just doesn't want to fly. Yeah. So he just uh, I don't months. blame
2: him, man. Yeah. Uh, have you
1: listened to his podcast on Joe Rogan where he it's goes good, through right? how close to death he actually was? I didn't realise like. I was like, oh yeah, he was in that thing the other like the other year, and then he explained how bad it actually was and how close to death he was. Like, man, he's lucky to be alive.
0: Yeah. He's cool, man. He's I alive. like Travis Bogdan Anyway, guys, I'm pretty happy with that. Thank you all so much for listening. You guys have a great day. Thank you, Liam. Thank you, Elliot. Let's get rehearsing, boys. Let's play some songs. Yeah.
1: See you next episode.